It is the Chicago First United Audio Podcast, your Chicago scene salvation, featuring interviews with the premier talent and tastemakers in the Chicago music community. My name is Haima Black. I host this podcast every week at ChicagoVerseUnited.com. This week, an interview with Chris Payne for the one-year anniversary of Q101 going off the air. Here's how that sounds. Haima Black here with Chris Payne. How's it going, man? Hey, man. It's good to see you again, brother. Good to see you, too, man. Uh, you and I just did an interview on the podcast maybe like... I think maybe like a year ago. It was last summer. Yeah, it was. I think it was right after Q101 ended. So I think that might have been the last interview I've had since then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, man, we just passed the one-year anniversary of Q101 going off the air. I really wanted to catch up with you, kind of get your thoughts. Because even though I was part of it and I was part of it with you, I feel like people listening to this podcast would be really interested to hear some of your thoughts about Q101 going off the air. Yeah, well, it, well, first of all, it was it was really funny that the, the one-year anniversary literally almost passed me by. I mean, I knew it was in July, and you just get busy with other things. And I didn't realize the day of until um, a handful of people, including you, um, sent me an email message like, hey, man, today was the anniversary. Yeah. So I, I, for, the, for the next few hours, I was like, well, I should probably post something or tweet something or Facebook something. And I finally decided... Yeah, I'm not going to do it. I didn't. I didn't even acknowledge it. But um, yeah, man, that was uh, that was a memorable night. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Well, you know, let's start with that night. You know, because for anyone who doesn't know, and a lot of people tuned in, but you know, you got to take the station off the air, doing a final local one-on-one at the very end. Pogo was involved. I got to be involved, and there was a lot of Q101 air staff in the room. What do you remember about the last night or do you remember any of it at all <laughs> no you know believe it or not i uh i mean i did bring three bottles of champagne which you can verify uh, you didn't drink any of it I, I drank quite a bit um but you know what i i went into that night with a conscious decision to i want to remember every moment of this i want to remember as much as i can about that night and um I, it, it was important to me at that time because i had decided that was going to be my final show and that I was going to retire as a radio host. I mean, you know, most people don't. I mean, I'm a partner at a large law firm here in Chicago. I've been a lawyer for uh, 10 years now. Uh, so I have this other career that really pays the bills. But, um, you know, I knew that was going to be it. I wasn't going to do anything else. So I wanted to try to remember as much as I can. To answer your question, the one thing that really stands out more than anything else was when we played Hands on the Bible, the live version uh, from Local Age. And, you know, that was, a, that was one of the tracks, the live tracks that I selected. I definitely wanted to play it. That's a great song. That's probably, I think, one of their best live performances that I've ever heard. And you know, and probably everyone that's listening to this podcast knows that we're huge Local Age fans and, uh, and, and love Scott. So um, I, that was the most memorable moment for me, and I still will occasionally go back and look at the video of that song, and it was incredible because at that moment, I just remember I turned up the speakers in the studio as loud as they would possibly go. The room was booming. By that time, there were a lot of intoxicated people, uh, and everyone... Roker. I know, I know it, man. I could go on and on and on, um, but everyone was really loaded. And so the, the speakers are blasted. Everyone is singing at the top of their lungs and knew every single word to the song. Someone in the back of the studio, we had multiple light controls. They were like switching the lights off and on and, in, you know, along with the song. And it was kind of like a concert. And then somehow, somewhere, somebody blew up a giant balloon. 
you know, a giant ball, and I think there were even two balls, if I remember right, and it was a balloon, and started throwing it around. So it's like everyone in the studio, and there were probably 20, had to be more than 20 people in that room, are like throwing this ball up in the air. Everyone's singing. The lights are flashing. Uh, Hands on the Bible Live is playing. I mean, it was, that I'll never forget that day ever. And the thing that was the coolest about the video was, um, and, and some of the videos that were on uh, Facebook uh, didn't capture this, but a, a few did. The very last note at the very end of the song, one of the balloons that people were throwing around this room hit a beer bottle. The beer bottle broke, and the glass busted the balloon, and it, and it was as almost as if it was planned. And that was the end of the song. That was the end of the balloon. It was this big pop at the end, and everyone was cheering and going crazy. <laughs> that was probably my most memorable moment of the last night of the show. And um, I, I can tell you my second most memorable moment if you want to know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. Um, you know, as I said, I wanted to remember every aspect of it. And that night really was like going to one of the best concerts I'd ever seen in my entire life. And, uh, and the performers were the songs on the radio, and everyone in the room was enjoying it, and it, it was great. And I remember when, when the show was over, and we'd had the lights there pretty dim because everyone was partying pretty hard. Uh, when the show was over, I wanted to be the last one to leave the studio. And I, I, I waited till everyone was sort of walking out, and everyone was hugging, and quite a few people were crying. And right as I was getting ready to walk out of the room, you know, I, I opened the door, I stopped, I looked back, all the lights were on, there was garbage and trash everywhere in the form of champagne bottles, beer bottles, alcohol bottles, garbage on the floor, completely. <laughs> I mean, it was like a frat house in there. It was. It was like the end of a rock concert. If you've ever stayed to the end of an ACDC show, the place is trashed. And that's that's what it felt like. And I remember walking out of it thinking, you know, and I had my backpack on my shoulder and, you know, just seeing the lights on, uh, there's garbage everywhere. And the first thing that went through my mind is the party's over, party's over. And I, and I walked out knowing that that was going to be my last time on the air and that I was quote unquote retiring from radio. And, uh, I, I left happy. It was great. I, people asked me, was I sad? Do I miss it? Well, yeah, I miss turning my friends onto the great music that I still enjoy listening to, but, but by no means was I sad at all, man. It, it was a, it was a celebration of my career and I think I did pretty well. I mean, you know, it, it was a really, really crazy night. And something I think is interesting is that you have gotten to do that not only at Q101, but also at Rock 1035 as well, which is another rock station that was around at the end of the 90s. You've been in a rare position where you've gotten to say goodbye <laughs> at two radio stations, but usually that doesn't happen, right? I mean, usually in radio, you kind of get yanked off the air or the station flips without you knowing, right? Yeah. You know, that's exactly right. And, um, and the reason that happens is because if a radio programmer uh, tells a radio host that, well, you know, we're, we're letting you go, or the station switching formats, but we're going to give you this one last time on the air. Um, <laughs> usually, <laughs> like, fuck off on the air. I mean, exactly. I mean, that's what happens a lot. But yeah, but you know what, man? I've been doing this for so long. I mean, I've been a, I've been literally on. I've been a paid radio host since I, since I was 14 years old. So I've been doing this a long, long, long time. I'd like to think that I was very professional. I mean, I, I didn't use profanity on the air. I mean, you know, I, I, I would use as much innuendo as I could to be funny, but I was pretty professional. And I think that the people that I worked for probably knew that and would give me that opportunity and chance to do it. And you know what? I, I think a lot of it, too, has to do with, you know, the people who were fans of, of my show 
the programmers knew that people would want to hear me close out the station. So you're right. I did it for Rock 103.5 and, um, and for a Q101. You were at Q101. I mean, both of us were. We were at Q101 for a long, long time, from 1998 until 2011, you know. And I, I, I kind of know the answer to this. But for everyone listening, like, how did you see the station change over that time? Because it became a very different place at a number of different intervals over the years. Yeah, you know, um, when I first started at Q101, it was literally after the end of Rock 103.5, and it, it couldn't have been more than a couple of weeks after. So the, the, the formatting of Q101 was much more alternative at that time because there was already an active rock station in the marketplace. So there, there really wasn't room to have um, an active to have an alternative station playing rock music. Um, so Q101 was like that for a, a while. Very, very alternative, which I thought was great at that time, too. Then uh, Dave Richards came over, and, you know, he was the program director for Rock 103.5. And it's the, the day he walked in the door, I think we started playing Metallica at Q101, um, along with all of the alternative stuff that, that we played as well. So the station with Dave Richards changed pretty significantly, and Q101 almost, I remember we caught a lot of shit over it from the hardcore alternative fans that didn't want to hear any of that rock stuff on their favorite radio station, so we did catch a lot of grief. But but overall, I thought the station sort of became more active rock with a flavor of alternative, and that lasted for Dave Richards' tenure. Yeah, and that was like during like the new metal era. So like Limp Biscuit was huge, Corn was huge. It was it was that time. Absolutely, that's exactly what was happening. And and you were there. I mean, yeah. the, the format at Q101 changed somewhat, a little bit every two years because that's about how often we got a new program <laughs> director. And uh, and you know what? I don't mean to change the subject again, but just just so that uh, people don't misunderstand the. What we're, what we're talking about here on the facts. I, I did not sign off Rock 103.5. I signed off the last night show. It actually continued the next morning, and I think, I think it was maybe Joe Robinson at Middays actually gave the last, had the last word. I, 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 I was there when it happened, but, but I signed off the night show, and that was when it was the big party. We had 13 bottles of liquor because we counted, and about 20 to 30 people in the studio. So the real party was that night as, as I ended my show. And um, I, I remember two people passed out because they were just that <laughs> drunk that night. And uh, there was a lot of stuff that, frankly, I just can't tell. I just can't tell you what happened. I don't want it to be published what was happening. But um, so anyway, just to be clear on that. But back to Q101, you know, man, the format changed every couple of years. We got a new program director. Yeah, I mean, there was like the shuffle era where we were playing everything from like Hanson to Kanye West. And then we went more alternative and then we went much harder at the end so yeah it was it was a different station every few years almost yeah well i don't know if i could say that we really played hansen i mean that was kind of a trick uh of, of whoever was programming that time and i don't remember who it was they they let the air talent listen to this song from from this band and wouldn't tell us what it was and wanted to know if we liked it and then they wanted us to play it and and uh, i think we finally played it and then once it was an it had pretty good reaction once it was disclosed that it was Hanson, it, it went awry. No one wanted to have anything to do with it after that. That's right. I remember that because we played Hanson, but we didn't tell anyone it was Hanson. Right. It was kind of a weird experiment for radio. Yeah, all top secret, all top secret. I don't yeah. know. I don't know whose idea that was, but I thought it was creative. It was pretty funny. Fill people in on how different it was working on local 101 versus doing a regular format shift you know, air shift on Q101, where, like, you were maybe, like, a midday or afternoon person, because our show was so different. 
thinking back, I mean, radio station program directors and consultants and whoever they would hire at the time, you know, ultimately someone else would decide what music is being played on the radio station. It, it really was taken away from the hands of the air talent. I mean, there's very few uh, radio stations in the country where that's even allowed. In fact, I can only think of one here in the Chicago marketplace, and that's XRT. Those jocks actually still get to select the songs, and I, and I believe some of it probably is playlisted. I don't know that for a fact, but I do know they get to select some of their music. There is no other radio station that I'm aware of that the air talent has that kind of a freedom just because there's no trust there. The two local shows that I've hosted in this market um, uh, at Rock 103.5, um, Chicago Rock, the homegrown with the red hairs, and with Local 101, were the only two shows in my entire radio career, well, with the exception of when I was 14 years old, spinning <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne records um, in um, a small town in Foley, Alabama, of all places. Dude, that's crazy. Um, but other than that, that one time in my life, you know, these two local music shows are the only two times I've been able to play whatever music I want to as long as they were local and had no interference from anyone involved in programming. And I think that's largely due to the fact that None of these people had a clue. You know, they weren't they weren't concerned about my one hour, you know, local music Sunday show. night at ten or eleven or twelve PM or whenever we were. That's right, whenever it was. Yeah. They you know, they didn't they didn't understand it, they didn't get it, they didn't care. And even when I would come back and, and remind them, it's like, well, just so you guys know, this new debut that you're talking about playing from this band called Local H, well, guess what? I've been playing this song for over a year now. Our plain white tees are, are you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. You know, these bands, especially these Chicago local bands, I mean, they broke on JVO's show. They broke on my show. And that's, you know. We were really the ones that were we were the really we were the real ones doing indie rock at that time. Now they've got complete formats on you know Sirius that's dedicated to that stuff. But it was the local music shows back in those days that really got it done. It was great having that kind of freedom, Haima, and I know you know uh, because we just did whatever the hell we wanted to do. We knew no one from programming was listening to us, but we were <laughs> we were still cumming about a hundred thousand people per show on Local One Hundred One. That's a shitload of people listening to a specialty show. And it was cool because it really was as as DIY and independent and, you know, kind of like ground to the ear as it could have been. Because we were playing bands that were playing the Metro and we were playing bands that sent us their CDs. We were playing bands that emailed us their songs. It wasn't about like there was never any money changing hands. It was never about like, oh, well, this consultant says we have to play this band. It was all just who's doing stuff in the local scene. Yeah, it's true. I mean, all that, you know, the, the, the pay for play, I mean, that's, that's very, you know, it's illegal. You know, it's not supposed to do that, but it certainly would, would happen with the commercial music. But, you know, in the, in the local music capacity, I, I mean, I think some guy offered me a bag of weed to play his song. <laughs> and, uh, um, and uh, you know, it was a great song. I, I, didn't, I didn't need it to, to play his music. It was good yeah. anyway, so it was a non-issue. But, you know, you're right. I mean, we were left alone. It was pure. I mean, people liked it. It was cool. Well, I wanted to bring up some names of some of the acts we had on the show over the years who I know you have relationships with and I know you have stories with. So if I can run down some of these names, let's start with Rise Against. Rise Against. uh, That's, I mean, that's almost too easy. I mean, you know, Tim and Joe, we go back so many years, back in the the early part of their career. And, um, you know, they feel like I really gave them a break and, and did them a favor. I thought their music was cool as shit, and I couldn't wait to just 
you know, let everyone hear it. I mean, it's like you, you like a song, you like a band, you want to turn all your friends onto it. You know, I looked at Local 101. It was just a group of my friends that were all hanging out, enjoying the same kind of music. So for me, I, I love turning people on to this really cool new band that I started liking, Rise Against. Uh, for the band, I feel like, and I take that back, I don't feel like it. They've told me this, that, you know, they they give my show some credit for their success i'm laughing because all i did was play their music i mean they're obviously the band they're writing the music they're the talent they're out there touring and paying their dues but you know you know they're really solid solid guys through all of that even even to the very end days of q101 you know i started reaching out to some of these powerhouse bands that i played very early on in their career and um you know all of the bands were very very gracious um, Tim was way over the top. I mean, he came to our studio. He wanted to shoot a video of the whole uh, final interview. Um, you know, I, I, I tried to sing one of his songs, which, by the way, there's a few copies of that on the Internet. It didn't make the final um, uh, YouTube video, which I, I filmed that. Yeah, yeah. No, you did. You filmed that. I'm actually kind of, now that I've heard it, I'm kind of glad it didn't make it on YouTube because I was way out of tune. But I, I was supposed to be. I wasn't supposed to be a singer. But, you know, he... Uh, you know, straight edge guy. Um, you know, I can honestly say that he believes everything that he sings. He's not doing it for fortune or fame. He's not doing it to push his propaganda on anyone else. He's singing about things that are important to him, uh, that are things that are important to his friends and family. And uh, he's a 100% true believer. And I'm telling you, anything that that man says, he believes it 100% wholeheartedly, which is why his music and lyrics are so powerful, because it's real to him. He believes it. He's not that guy. He, he doesn't act like a millionaire. He doesn't dress like a millionaire. He doesn't talk like a millionaire. But I bet you he's a millionaire. <laughs> and, and he got that way by keeping true to himself. He's a real genuine guy, man. He's always been a friend of the show. He's been a, a friend to me. And uh, he's a straight-up guy, man. He, 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 knowing that man has forever changed my life, I can honestly say that. Chevelle. Similar story, man. I mean, I have, uh, you know, Sam has always been the, the mouth, mouthpiece for that band. Um, I don't know, maybe he just likes to talk or, or <laughs> maybe he's, you know, I don't know, not that emotional. He's very calm and, and level-headed. But, um, you know, just a really solid guy. I remember interviewing him on, uh, on their tour bus on the night of his birthday, and he, he had, like, a bottle of champagne. We started sharing some champagne. I don't remember the venue or the show. They all bleed together after, you know, after so many years. But that's another band, I mean, you know, that we – and I can't even take credit for, for playing them first on Chicago radio. I believe JBO – you know, maybe it was a tie. I mean, maybe we played about the same time. I was on the air at Rock 103.5. JBO was on the air at Q101. And uh, we were probably, obviously, we probably both played Mia about the same time. But I do know the first time that Chevelle ever heard that song played on the radio was when I played it on my show. Um, because, uh, you know, Sam told this story, that, you know, that we aired on the last night of uh, Local 101 and Q101, that he, he remembered distinctly hearing it because he had just pulled into his driveway. His girlfriend was in the car with him. And as he's about to turn the car off, you know, he hears me play, you know, Mia on the radio and he's like holy shit this is my band I've never heard it played on the radio before so you know and that's another cool thing about those guys um they're true believers I mean even when they were marked as a Christian rock band um as young as they were that at that time they handled that so professionally because they didn't see it as a bad thing but they also didn't want to mislead their listeners because that's not really what they were about 
Um, are they spiritual? Sure. Do they, are, are they, you know, I don't know. Do they have faith? Are they religious? Well, shit, I don't know. I'm guessing they probably do, but I don't know. Um, that's something personal and private that they keep themselves. But, you know, they, they were, they, they've been mature beyond their years, even in the, the beginning of, um, even in the beginning of their career. Totally solid guys. Really great band. Love them. Scott Lucas. <laughs> Oh, man, Scott Lucas. I love that guy. You know, I've been very fortunate uh, over my career to have met so many famous people, even actors, uh, not just in the music industry. <clears throat> just by the fact of being involved in the music industry, it affords you opportunities to be in certain places that most people just can't be at. And by being in those places, you meet a, a lot of unique and interesting characters. Um, most are cool and fun. Some are dark and scary. But, uh, you know, I mean, I've you know, I've obviously, I mean, I've met, I'm, I'm actually looking at the, my office wall right now uh, at some of the platinum and gold records and autograph posters I have. You know, I've had an opportunity to meet Marilyn Manson, you know, get his autograph and interview him. The Black Crows from, you know, the, I think it was the early 2000s, maybe late 90s, Alkaline Trio, Megadeth, Creed. Uh, Candlebox, Tool, White Zombie, Queensryche, Cheap Trick, uh, Stone Simple Pilots. <laughs> I mean, I could go on and on. These are just the posters on my wall. Uh, of all of these people that I've met, uh, Nicolas Cage, um, I could rattle through another uh, couple of actors, but uh, I've already probably pe people are saying, like, what an asshole name dropper. Uh, which <laughs> you asked the question, though. Uh, of all these people that I've met, none of them, none of them have intimidated me. None of them have made me feel uncomfortable. None of them have made me nervous, except for Scott Lucas. <laughs> I can't explain it. I don't know what it is. I am, I am so, I'm such a huge fan of that band. I mean, you know, I was counting up records and songs and singles on my um, iPod recently, not that long ago. I think I have more Local H songs than I have Led Zeppelin songs. I have more Local H songs than I have ACDC songs. I mean, these, these are, of course, my, some of my favorite bands. I think I have probably more uh, Local H albums and EPs than any other artist in my um, iPhone. So uh, I, I think I'm just a huge fan of the band. And, um, you know, I think he is just one of the most talented musicians I've ever met. I mean, to be able to get that kind of sound out of his guitar and the way he strings it and the, you know, the dip way he wires the whole thing. I mean, to see, to see Scott, oh, next time you go see a local eight show, Jaime, you know this. Next time you go see a local eight show, look how many wires he's got, how many uh, of the pedals that he has to step on to make his guitar sound like it's three or four or five different instruments. But he does it all the while singing his ass off, incredible vocals, nailing it every time I've seen him perform. I saw the guy throw up on the side of the stage in the middle of a song and come right back and not even skip a beat. So uh, I, I, I really, really like him as a musician. I'm amazed by what he can do. I used to call him the mad scientist of rock and roll. I think I even called him that in a couple of interviews. Uh, but for whatever reason, I just I, I could get so uncomfortable around him. It, was, it wasn't until many, 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 many years later after meeting him that I finally felt comfortable in my own skin being in the same room as Scott Lucas. And that's probably, I mean, that's ridiculous. He probably has no idea and would think that it's just stupid that I would even say something like that. But I think it, I think it changed. And you know the night I'm talking about was he came in. He was very, we did an interview. He was very solemn. Uh, very, um, not down, but he was just not his normal 
hyper self with a, you know a smart ass comment to everything you say um and he played all of these acoustic songs for us and i'm sure not all of them got on the air the the sunday following but he was essentially taking uh requests he's like what do you guys want to hear now and you're like oh man play this so and it was just like you me and like one or two producers this was not like the whole radio station it was not a station event i mean this was like three people in the room and he was just playing a private concert for us yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was an acoustic, unplugged show uh, by Scott Lucas playing local age songs, and there was four of us in this tiny little studio listening to the whole thing. And and he played as many songs as we asked, and when we were finally done and couldn't think of any more to request, he's looking at us and he's like, is there anything else you want me to play? I mean, he would have kept going, and we've got it all recorded somewhere. God knows where it's at now, but it was at that moment, I think, was the first time I actually saw what I think is the real Scott Lucas, and I started seeing him as a human being instead of the um, mad scientist of rock and roll. And from that moment forward, I think at least my relationship with him became more normal and more personal. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the world of the guy. Kill Hannah. Last one. Kill Hannah. <clears throat> Man, those guys. I, I've, I've been a fan for as long as I can remember. Back when they had girls in the band. <laughs> you remember those days, right? I'm, yeah. You know, that's another that's another great band. I um you know, those guys, I mean, they've had a had a couple of deals. Um they've never had a they've never had a, a, a square deal. You know, that was one of the bands that all right, I'll back up. You know, in 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 radio whether you're in programming or radio host, you see what happens in, or at least what used to happen in the record industry. I don't know if it does anymore. Maybe it does. Probably does. But essentially what happens in the, in the record industry is you've got record companies. Let's say it's record company X. All right. Every week they're sending someone to visit you at your radio station to tell you that they've got these great new bands that they would like you to start playing. Okay? Well, that's Radio X. Well, guess what? There's a, uh, that's record company X. There are at least another 20 record companies out there that are also trying to get their artists played on your radio station. Well, when they show up at your radio station once a week, they want to play like four or five songs uh, for you to try to get you to play them all on the air. And maybe they have you know six or seven songs that they're supposed to promote and market that particular week. Well, radio stations, you can't play everything. So you pick and choose. So... Of those four, five, or six artists, only one of those may get actually added to the radio station. So, you know, you're already eliminating four or five bands that, that won't even get a shot. And those four or five bands may be brilliant, but they're not getting a shot. And now you multiply that by all the different record companies, right? So they sign all these deals once a week only. Maybe if you're lucky as a label, you can get one band played on the radio. Maybe you can get one of those other bands played in the weeks ahead. But there's a lot of great bands that fall on the wayside. I used to call it this. I would say record companies, when, when local bands would ask me, how can we do it? How can we get signed? What do we need to do? And I'm like, you know, you can do everything right and still not anything happen. You could still be painting houses at the end of the day. Nothing wrong with painting houses. I painted the inside of mine. But, um, you know, I used to, what I used to say to these young bands, I'm like, listen, the way the record industry is, it's like they've got a handful of magnets. And every magnet is exactly the same. And they're awesome magnets. And they're going to work. And they throw them against the refrigerator. Not all those magnets are going to stick, especially if you're throwing it against a refrigerator. In fact, most of them are going to bounce off and fall on the ground. Kill Hannah is that band after album after album after album after record deal after record deal after record deal was always one of the magnets that fell on the ground. 
They never stuck, and I don't understand it. And for me personally, and I'm a fan of the band. I mean, I can appreciate all of the earlier music that that they uh, that they would write and perform, and I liked most of it, hands down. For me, the best record they ever did was the one that Johnny K produced. I thought that was the most commercially friendly album that they had. They still kept their their Kill Hannah roots. I think that they had a very positive reaction from their hardcore Kill Hannah fans uh, when that album was released. And as a you know as you know as like a guy on the radio hearing commercial music played and kind of knowing how it works and what the sounds are. I mean, well, you know, I. I I could hear it and, and knew that there were a number of radio, smash radio hits on that record. Believer was such a great song. Statue Without Eyes. Yeah. That was another great, great song. And there were a couple more. Lips like the Collapse and Lips Like Morphine. Yeah, Lips Like Morphine. I mean, you know, the, this was a great record. It was mixed fantastically. Um, and no one picked it up. I mean, I, I'm just like, why not? This is this is great music. And it came out at the same time that there was another band that had a very similar sound that was getting a lot of commercial radio appeal. I can't I can't remember who they are now, but I just remember thinking like, oh, my God, this is it. This is this is Kill Hannah's moment. This is their this is their time because there's already a, a similar sounding artist already being played on the radio. And it, ne- and it never happened. I, I just I don't know why they're certainly deserving of it. They deserved it. They deserve it now. So it's too bad. It's too bad. Well, you know, it's a year later. Q101 just went off the air um, just, I think, this past weekend, one year ago, uh, I think July 14th or July 15th. And even though it's been a year, it's still a radio station that people are extremely passionate about. You still see them talk about it online. You still see people saying how much they miss it, saying they wish Q101 was back on the air. Why do you think Q101 impacted people in that way where they're still talking about it 12 months after it's been off the air? Well, you know, probably for the same reason that uh, there was a lot of talk when Rock 103.5 was off the air. The thing is, is that, um, and I don't know if you, well, I, I guess you probably do. I was going to say I don't know if fans have that much loyalty to radio stations anymore. It's I think the loyalty is more so to the actual artists that the radio stations are playing, but, you know, clear, clearly a if I were to make that statement, I'd be wrong because people are still loyal to Q101, as you said. Over time, that'll die. Over time, that'll go away. I remember right after the, the, the rock went off the air, it was the same thing. There was all these online Internet campaigns. And, I mean, Jesus, if you think about it, man, that was like 13, 14 years ago. And the Internet then was nothing like it was now. They didn't have Twitter or Facebook or MySpace or any of that crap 14 years ago when the rock went off. But there was still this huge... Um, grassroots movement to, you know, start, we're going to start another Rock 103.5, just like you saw for Q101. We're going to do this, or we're going to, you know, we're going to do that. And, you know, and then over time, it just kind of like fades away and, you know, something new will will happen and replace it. And, you know, Q101, it turns out a lot of the air talent that was on Rock 103.5 went to Q101. Ned Spindle, myself, um, Sludge, Sludge, yeah, and then I want to say one, one other person, but I, I don't know. Uh, so you know, the, those people that were so angry the first six months after the rock went off the air, it's like they're like, oh, okay, I'm good, I'm good. Q101, <laughs> you know, Q101 playing shit out of Metallica, I'm good, you know, I'm okay. Wish they'd play Metallica and Pantera, but you know, I, I've got all the CDs, I'll listen to it at home. So that you know, I, I think it's the loyalty to the to the radio station because. 
music speaks to people in so many different ways. I mean, we can listen to a song that can make you cry. It can make me rock out. It's depending upon, you know, what you're going through and, you know, it becomes a part of your life and it becomes the story of your life really. And I, and I think that, uh, more so in the past than now and in the future, you know, you're only sourced to, to have that emotion, to experience that feeling. And that is, you know, the, the memory of whatever it is that, that you're listening to the song, that how it affects you. It could only be, you could only get it on the radio and then you could go buy the record, but ultimately you would get it from the radio first. Um, and I think that that's really, you know, because people become a part of a radio station because they listen to it so much. You know, if you think about it, I mean, if you were listening to, you know, radio announcers that were able to do the things that, you know, me and some of my peers were able to do, you know, early on, um, you know, you, you learn a little bit about the radio host. You know, you, you in- invite them into your home. You invite them into the most intimate moments of your life. And whether it's, you know, you're, you're in bed with your wife or girlfriend, um, you're uh, in your car, uh, you're partying your ass off, you know, uh, you know, whatever it is that you're doing when radio was a part of it, you know, you, the radio host, if they had any personality whatsoever, and many don't, um, you know, the, you became a part of their life. You became something that, you know, especially running a feature like Mandatory Metallica or Get the Let Out or the Top Nine at Nine. I mean, I'm rattling off some features that we used to do on uh, Rock 103.5, but people who wouldn't necessarily listen to the station all the time would tune in on those particular shows because they wanted to hear something that I said or they wanted to hear a bit that I did or they wanted to hear a song that I would play. So they become emotionally attached and involved in it to to the radio station and the talent. So I I think that that's probably why that when these stations go away, there's somewhat of a grassroots uprising and and people want it to happen and continue just like it did with the rock, just like it did with Q101. Uh, Not like it's not going to happen with 101.1. You know, no one's going to remember that. No one's going to ask for it to come back. There was no connection with any of the talent, even though they were there a year. It's just a completely different situation. But I think that that's probably why you you have that sort of feeling after the station has gone away it's been a year later people are still talking about it people are still posting about it um, but you'll recall that in those last few days um, of the traffic about q101 was trending on google and yahoo and a couple of others if i remember right and even though this was the one year anniversary there was a couple blurbs about it but that was it it's already dying and i would be surprised if a year from now Anyone really cares that much. I mean, you know, you may you may interview me again, Haima, but believe me, no one's going to be knocking on my door to talk about the good old days because, you know, if there's going to be something new that will replace it, there always will be. Well, you know, final question about this whole thing, and I know that it's hard to kind of sum it up in this capacity, but, like, what was the best part of the whole experience, just for you personally, the whole Key 101 experience, which I know covered 13 years for you? Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, there are <clears throat> there are a lot of ups and downs in being uh, on the radio, and I see a lot of kids, uh, you know, going to uh, you know broadcast school because they want to be a radio host. I mean, look, do the math. I mean, it's like you know, count up the number of radio stations that are in the Chicago metro, count up how many um, full time air positions are available, and there's not that many. Um, so you know, the hard times in radio um, are probably for most people are probably longer and more painful than the good times. I mean, I consider myself very, very lucky, Haima. I mean, I I have never been fired from a radio station. The radio stations have, at least three radio stations, have changed formats out from underneath me. Uh, but I wasn't the only one to go. Usually it was the entire air staff. So I've been very, very lucky in, 
in my, uh, you know, during my radio career. Uh, so I've probably seen more good times and happy moments than, than most, maybe. Um, but uh, there's some definitely some downtimes too. There's, you know, you have no job security, which is a real drag. You know, you, you, you know, you have to work, you know, most stations you, you work six days a week instead of five and you're like, Oh, big deal. You're working four hours a show. Uh, boo hoo. But the thing is, is if you work six days a week, you can never take a vacation. You can never go out of town for a long weekend. If you work at nights, I remember when I worked at nights of the rock, I mean, there was an entire four years of nighttime television that I just never saw. <laughs> People would talk about particular shows. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I never saw a Seinfeld episode live. Never saw it. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> and everyone loves that show. I couldn't tell you anything about it other than what I, I hear other people talking about. But uh, so, but probably the, the, the best part for me, and, and I, I actually mentioned it earlier, the best part for me, and I can honestly say I'm beginning to miss this, is um, the opportunity for me to... Um, play something, some new music, music for a group of people uh, that maybe haven't heard it, and hopefully they'll like what I play and will want to go out and buy it. So for me, I really miss turning my friends on. My friends being people who used to listen to, to our radio show. Uh, I really miss being able to turn them on to great new music. I mean, you know, you and I were talking before we started the interview. I mean, this. Um, can I say it? Do you care? Yeah. Like the new Mark Tremonti project. I mean, Mark Tremonti, who was the guitar player, still is, the guitar player with Creed and the guitar player for Alter Bridge. I mean, he's going off on a solo project. I've listened to the record. You know, I'm into more heavier music anyway. I think it's an incredible album, and I really do. I think there's some great songs on it. You and I talked about that. And I literally miss having the opportunity to play, you know, to play like one of these new songs and tell everybody, hey, this is a brand new track from the Mark Tremonti record. It's incredible. Listen to it. Check it out. And, uh, and, and I know that people would hear it and say, like, oh, my God, Chris is right. Or some people would say, like, he's, he's lost his mind. It's, the song sucks or whatever. But I don't have that opportunity to do that anymore, that outlet. Uh, that was the greatest part of, I think, being a radio host that I didn't even realize how great it was until I couldn't do it anymore. That was the that was the favorite part to me. Meeting all the musicians, the artists, that was great. Um, it, it was it was a blast. But the most important thing for me was to be able to turn my friends on to new music. I missed that. Well, man, thank you so so much for <laughs> for really like taking a good chunk of your night. Um, you know revisiting your time at Q101, Local 101, looking back on things kind of one year later. Uh, Chris Payne, thank you so much for the time. Glad to do it, man. I'll, I'll, I'll do any interview you want me to do, Haima. You got it, buddy. Thank you. This has been the Chicago First United Audio Podcast, your Chicago scene salvation. Thanks to Chris Payne for being on the show this week. You can find past episodes of the Chicago First United Audio Podcast at chicagoverseunited.com, including interviews with Scott Lucas, Kill Hannah, Billy Corrigan, and many, many more. You can follow the Dynasty Podcast Network through all social and digital media channels at dynastypodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black, Dynasty Descend.